Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the All Out 2023 review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow daddy boy Michael Hamflit to discuss everything that went down on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review Raw Smackdown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0. Oh, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have wrestler interviews on occasion, roundtable discussions, and round of the week. Not this week on Wrestle Culture Complete, of course, with a bloody good quiz. I am so tired. <laughs> I'm running around like a blue-ass fly trying to get things done, hence why I'm a little bit out of breath. I don't think the power is back. Mm-hmm. I am going to reserve my judgment on that until I see the next episode of television, but... The vibe is back, I think. It felt so markedly different to the last time CM Punk went away for what felt like forever then is forever now. I don't know if it's the closure. I don't know if it's fatigue. I just had a great, great time, dot, 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 in spite of the build. This was a fabulous show, and I completely agree with you about the vibe. Completely. And I can only put that down to after, like, a a year, basically, after he should have done one way or another, Tony Khan making a decision. Like, on that, just really briefly, I think it's a shame that timing has stopped us being able to do a CM Punk long-form discussion while it's at its hottest. I just think he faced up to the consequences of the decision on Saturday night and was able to luxuriate in the aftermath of that on Sunday. Yeah, He ate as much shit as he possibly could with the live announcement and the on-screen announcement of Collision with the express purpose of trying to preserve the atmosphere here uh, on his pay-per-view. And I think that was honestly like a really shrewd tactical maneuver on Tony Khan's part. And I think it contributed to the vibe. We've always said AEW is more of a vice promotion. People are calling this the best show of the year. And it wasn't for me, but I wouldn't fight anybody for thinking it. Yeah, same. Definitely carried that atmosphere from end to end in a way that you just felt like, am I watching something special returning here? I'm with you. I'm going to reserve judgment to Dynamite, and not just this week's, next week's, and the weeks after. Yeah, like it's a you got to show you got to show it week on week on week. And there's a pay per view in another month, so like, can you actually build that one? Let's see. But aye, uh, there was certainly an energy in the air, and I think he might have earned that from trying to get across everything on the Saturday night and being done with it. Maybe even that wasn't necessary. I think the fatigue is set in in Chicago for there to be minimal hijacking. I think. The fandom is either accelerated through the stages of grief or not grieved at all mm. about the loss of CM Punk. My personal feelings before we get into it are that I will miss him, 
but he no longer belongs and I won't miss him at the same time. Uh, maybe that's a measure of the dichotomy of CM Punk. <laughs> um, I did not watch the kickoff. There was nothing on it, truthfully, that would have grabbed my attention had I had the time to do it. Um, so we'll kick off with the main card proper. And what a great old-fashioned opener. A pay-per-view opener isn't a long match that happens to go on first. A pay-per-view opener is something, I believe anyway, maybe I'm old school, <laughs> that should not outstay its welcome, allow the rest of the card to unfold without exhausting the crowd, get them off their seats, don't be in there too long, fire the crowd up, unglue them, and this was kind of perfect for the slot, even if it wasn't a blow-away great match. I thought it was very, very good. Um, better than you, baby, defeat um, the Dark Order combination of Alex Reynolds and John Silver. The basic story of the match is that MGF suffers a worked neck injury, meaning that Adam Cole has to fend for himself in a handicap scenario before MGF makes the triumphant return and comes back and they win the day. Now, no one thought the title switch was imminent, but I think the dynamic was inspired because what this story allows is they're not that over anymore and they were incredible challenges, even for the ROH World Tag Team titles. But Silver and Reynolds have got such a really cool, rapid, explosive series of double team moves that it's still so exciting that you didn't really have time to process when you're watching it. Oh, they're not going to win mm-hmm. because, oh my God, they might win. They're very fast. Yeah. I know that's very simple. But I think that's what they were going for here. I remain completely enamored with this MJF, air quotes, baby face turn. I remain adamant that he's playing a long con. And I, again, I was in admiration at his ability to do, let's face it, house show opener material, basic movesets elevated by crowd psychology and his interaction with the crowd, like a kangaroo kick compared to like a destroyer, yeah. a Tiger Driver 91, like we know what he's doing. For me, it still feels, and I think this is so clever, because he's, if anything, in my opinion, and I could get the, the arc all wrong, he might be a full-fledged babyface, the mystery is unresolved, and that's the fascination. He's doing what registers to me like an uncanny emulation of a babyface, because he's not a redeemed person completely yet. I don't think that this is the moveset and the working style of MJF fully-fledged babyface. Yeah. It feels like he's doing this uncanny emulation that's still really over because he's just so ungodly talented. I think the fully-fledged babyface wrestles, MGF wrestles differently to this and is more serious and less showy and interactive. He's cooler, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you've articulated this to me to, in a way today that I've not been able to put my finger on it. I love that. Yeah. It's like a, you, were, you were watching the performance of a performance. Yes. Rather than just a performance. And that's, I mean, that's a testament to, like... IRL here, that's a testament to MJF's ability. Because when he but does like, turn fully-fledged babyface, I'm convinced he'll work more seriously than this, and he'll, you know, it feels too knockabout. It's like he's trying too hard, it's when he and yet he's also effortlessly brilliant. When he slaps hands when he's walking to the ring. Yeah. Even that isn't it, is it? Yeah. Babyface MJF doesn't necessarily slap a lot of fives. Yeah. He's just a babyface. Yeah. This one, like... I think he's playing the long, long, long game, and yeah. he's clever enough to do it. So what are your thoughts on this match? Not many. Um, the Dark Order were getting it's a bit... It's really fun, isn't it? Yeah, the Dark Order were getting a lot of grief uh, for um, getting the shot in the first place until uh, John Silver went online and was like, hey, we want a better royal asshole. Uh, like the 15th this year, which, which says it all. Yeah, that, that explains it, John. Thanks, John. Um, but really, it needn't matter who was in the slot. 
all the comparisons for the longest time about Ricky Starks and The Rock were because he wore the really fancy shirts and he had this really cool demeanor and he cut the awesome promos and there was his talent in waiting, this guy with this like Hollywood looks and all-star persona. Ricky Starks is great. But better than you, baby, are The Rock because The Rock at his peak, like he was a different kind of broomstick worker, wasn't he? Yeah. Ric Flair could carry a broomstick because he could go. The Rock could carry a broomstick because he'd go out there and he could talk his way around the broomstick, then hit the people's elbow and people would think, I've just watched the greatest wrestling match of my life. Yeah. The kangaroo kick is possibly the best example of that, but the double clothesline is just as effective. They are out there, and this is not to denigrate the Dark Order, nor for that matter, Aussie Open the week prior, but you are not watching their opponents. Yeah. You are completely gripped by this act, and every move they make between them, and you're waiting for MJF to return on the scene when you did the injury bit. You're watching Adam Cole's facials, keeping looking to the back, and either A, hoping that MJF would return, or B, thinking, has he finally screwed me? Is this over? Yeah. It is all about this act. All eyes are on it, and it's kind of impossible to... Everybody else is a talking prop in their presence, and I think that's a very difficult line to walk, but in what we've got next, there's peak AEW, Mm -hmm. because the angle advancement that came after this match, something none of us could have called, gave me the feeling that there might still be hope yet for this as a TV product. I've had that hope whenever I've watched MJF Cole full stop. But um, either way to put this next match, it's Samoa Joe pretty handily defeating Shane Taylor for the ROH World title. I think everyone, even people who are like, who are, you know, super in the weeds and love ROH, would think, huh? Yeah. Why is this match on the show? And then you got your answer to disguise a really, really thoughtful angle. And I use that exact phrase, peak AEW, in my star ratings column, of which this is a transcript, but you can still read it on whatculture.com slash WWE. In addition to Michael Hamflit's ups and downs, which... quite easy same phrase. Yeah. We didn't talk about that, but... So, as MJF is leaving the ring, Samoa Joe just comes out. Yeah. And it's great, because on commentary, they explain it as, well, he's not making his entrance second, it's uh, champion's choice. He just comes out when he wants it, he comes out now. Now he brushes past MGF's shoulder in a callback to the time MGF was an extra that does the rounds on Twitter and Squared Circle every now and then. And it all leads to this wild pull-apart brawl where MGF gets choked out and he's selling his neck. Now, that's an obvious, deliberate echo using the exact same player in Samoa Joe, who injured Roddy Strong's neck. Now, whose neck health, (laughs) which is one of those, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, combinations of words, that's just really funny. Neck health, will Cole care more about? Strong's or MJF's? Hint, MJF's. And you're going to get more Roderick Strong being brilliant, doing Owen Hart 94, wonderful sort of, spurned X stuff like so deadpan so passive aggressive it's so good um I cannot be more in admiration of the plotting here and they announced the Grand Slam tournament that you can easily see being a strong Joe final mm-hmm. which in itself is its own story right the way back to that attack angle at the start of collision yeah at Grand Slam you're gonna see Roderick Strong MJF and Bryce Ramsberg all selling the necks <laughs> yeah Three, oh my god, yeah. Yeah. That's like three neck braces. Yeah. Yep. That's oh my god. Oh my god. Push the button. Oh my god. Yep. It's gonna be absolutely tremendous. That's it. I didn't Did you have any thoughts? Advice, what was weird about this was I thought for what little time they got, I think it was six minutes. There was some fun elements to the match. Anticlimactic finish, but Jesus Christ, if you're gonna set up Joe as the monster of this program, there are a few better ways to do it. It was pretext to the angle it was like the penny drop of oh that's why they've done this and 
With a few more minutes, it could have stood a chance of being vaguely memorable for the match on its own terms. But then, literally two matches later, you do a superior genre offering of a Hoss fight. So it just felt like poor Shane Taylor had no chance, basically. Yeah, there were two matches on this card for me that were the victims of the bad build more than they were elevation of a, of a bad build. This was one of them. I could not invest. I was really hyped because I'd loved what I just, you know, with, yeah. with everything that I knew was to come. I think I was thinking about that. I didn't care. Yeah, it was hard to care. And next up, um, Luchasaurus retained the TNT title opposite Darby Allen, And yet another great Darby Allen fights someone who's bigger than him and much bigger. Like I've, I've said this for years now. I think he's one of the most underrated wrestlers in the world, Darby Allen. Like his storytelling ability... His ability to make you suspend your disbelief, to just make you buy what he's selling, how much he earns his comebacks with his fire-ups, with his selling, with his ability to build up the threat, get the crowd on side, and then do unfathomable things that, you know, the crucifix bomb on Luchasaurus. Oh, my God. The avalanche code red. Oh, my God. It's one of those where, on the surface of it, it's kind of ridiculous that he can do these moves to these people, but he just makes it seem like the most logical thing in the world mm. in that emotional logic of the moment. And the general gist is he gets monstered, he makes his great comeback, he bumps his coccyx off, and he has to make the decision when Christian Cage is about to concerto Nick Wayne on the outside whether he wants to save his mate or whether he wants to go for glory he spends too long trapped between those decisions, which is strong booking because Mm -hmm. you add a little bit of doubt to what he does do with Nick Wayne next. And Luchasaurus beats him. One, two, three, retains that TNT title. Great booking and great matchmaking because not only did you have last week the catharsis of the babyface getting comeuppance because you folded Christian Cage. Darby Allen was working two programs at once in one of the only cases of this all-out, all-in build. Working. That's actually worked. Yeah, and then they folded them together anyway, and they put Christian Cage in the match at Wembley. So you had Darby Allen getting the catharsis there, but leaving something with Christian that he would want to be particularly vindictive in this match, which is what he got. Um, but good matchmaking for Luchasaurus as TNT champion, because later on in the show, you've got two men that are vying to be the biggest killer in this jungle, and Luchasaurus has kind of said, nah, it's me. And if you want to come for me, you've got to come for my title. Yeah. So Powerhouse Hobbs and Miro suddenly became a de facto number one contenders match. Yes. Because you've seen the real monster. It isn't those two. It's Luchasaurus. And who do you like? Who do you go to when you want somebody that like a monster? Darby Allen. So this is great matchmaking and not done in the week of the show because these two stories... These Darby Allen stories have been being told for weeks and weeks. Yeah. This is one of the few characters that's been really well plotted over the last couple of months in AEW to arrive at this point, even to the extent where the roster coming out to save him from a further beatdown in Concerto was just that nice idea that, like, here's a guy that is respected enough by his peers at this point that they want to make the save, even though they've got no direct link to the story. Yeah. Like, I like that sometimes when babyface locker rooms just rally round. And I think, like, Darby Allen's an interesting figure to do that with because he's so often cast as an outsider with Sting. And I think it's, there's been a lot, of, not all of it has worked, but there's been a conscious effort to humanise Darby Allen this year. And I think, ultimately, this will prove more successful than making a video on a skateboard. Like, this is how you get Darby Allen to the top tier, not with the Darby's home movies stuff. Yes. You'll never stop this hard on for those. They're useless. Prepare for more because you're going to take a 
GoPro up Everest. Yes. Uh, Miro defeats Powerhouse Hobbs in the next match, which, truthfully, if the crowd aren't so enthused about, I would have thought, that's too long. It needs to be a bit leaner and meatier, and you need to stop doing as much resting. And it's weird. Like, I've seen a few odd takes about this one online where they've said that other oh, leaned into the chance and it felt improvised. They were going to go that route all along. What else were they going to do? <laughs> they were going to go that route all along. They possibly took a while to get there. And, you know, again, when you watch these things at the hours that we do, like, time can play tricks on you and your memory can play tricks on you when you're kind of exhausted. I'm convinced that they were still doing, like, rest stuff when the chance of meat popped up. Mm-hmm. They weren't just heard meat and go, right, okay, straight into the finishing stretch. No. How, how long was the match going to be in that case? Yeah. So, anyway, so they do a bit of a rest spot stuff and it takes a while to really get going. But when this gets going, the crowd are having some irreverent fun with the word meat, meet forever, etc. Truthfully, I find this kind of thing a bit corny and performative and ironic and detached. Our country not the guiltiest? Yes, I was just about to use Big Strong Boy as the example. Big Strong Boy, like Tyler Bade versus Gunther from that NXT UK takeover, is as good as people say. It's one of those great... True five-star matches that I don't think I'll ever go back and watch because I hate the UK crowd. <laughs> yeah. There's a bit of that here, but it really elevated everything. And what I thought was good here is that this sounds like a negative. It's not. They took forever to budge each other off their feet at various points. Mm. But in a good way, it felt believable. The rhythm of the match was intoxicating. They made the small moments matter, and they picked their spots perfectly. Like, because when they eventually got lifted off their feet, it resonated as this big superhuman feat of strength. I use this metaphor quite often, I'm sorry. But the collision detection of like, oh, that looks like it really hurts. The beads of sweat were flying. And then you got your big bombs thrown. Um, felt like a bit like a Japanese wrestling match in that respect. Um, like the Even when it didn't look particularly great, like Miro did a spine buster. Yeah. And it didn't look awesome, but it still looked impressive, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The finish was an uh, unsuccessful attempt at the game over before the successful one. The application wasn't great, but again, I would describe that as feature not bug because you don't want a really clean submission when you've clearly gone through an absolute war, which this was when it picked up. Um, I had loads of fun with this, and Miro versus Luchasaurus, thus earning back the love of CJ Perry who made her debut yeah in the post match even though she's ready with open arms he doesn't feel like he's earned her yet i feel like the TNT title and the big snog the big snog from Luchasaurus is going to happen yeah i agree i think that's a, a nice way to put a warped version of Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth WrestleMania 7 reunion um i have re- like i love that AEW is at long last under siege i've been waiting for this signing they're a great fit like, they were a great fit in WWE, keeping it simple. She's a, she's an okay promo. She's a great one with Miro. Yes. So, like, use people to their skills. Like, WWE insisting on making ballets wrestlers rubbish. AEW, she's going to be great in this role. I have absolute faith in that. So, they're a good. it's good to bring them two together. Aye. This was better in the building than on telly, but so good in the building that it made it better on telly. Yes. And I think, like... It's, I, I do want to credit the fans as much as the wrestlers here because I didn't think this was bad at all. But I thought the story was had this not played out like in front of this crowd, 
I think it would have come across as too basic for its own good. The big stuff for a while, and then it's kind of like Miro's just been at it longer. Yeah. That was what won him it, ultimately. I've just been doing this a bit longer than you, kid. That's why the handshake would have made sense, why yeah. Miro would even extend it. And and the crowd elevated that, and there's no problem about that as well. What it shows you is that the people wanted to see it, yeah. so that the booking is a success. You know, the, the, the matchmaking is a success. I've seen a million, way too many. That's an exaggeration, obviously. Like Dave Meltzer pointing that out. Like you don't have to. You don't have to point it out. I've seen a million. A shoot million carny finishes and distractions, and there was one of the next match where I've never thought, oh, that bloody baby face was wronged. Oh, yeah. glad that heel got shown up like that. And I think there's been a direct correlation between the frequency of that WWE finish and a lot of wrestlers just not being as over. Tonight, you got... Two results that were clean as a whistle, and yet the performer got loads out of losing cleanly because it just felt like they'd showed out and given the fight of their life. Mm -hmm. And that was powerhouse Hobbs here all the time in the world for this match. The next one, uh, absolute definition of cause and effect. You do not build Ruby Soho as a credible challenger. You give her the most bog-standard, I'm going to win the title, heat air quotes angle on the preceding dynamite you get to the match the work is good to very good and no one cares and it's all a bit bleak and depressing there's a moment where soho does her reverse rana ddt that low rana salvo and it's nothing more than a really cool athletic flourish because it can't possibly feel like a moment of drama it just feels like a cool sequence of moves it doesn't feel like the end it doesn't feel like this big dramatic spike it just feels like you've watched three cool moves because the fans simply have been conditioned not to care cause and effect and i think they were maybe overcompensating whether they came up with a spot or it was agented where it was like a tour of ireland of sorts mm-hmm. avalanche and it looked awesome and it wasn't fin- the finish I don't begrudge them for peaking before the finish because that was the coolest thing you'll see all in the match because they're probably just thinking, right, well, this is so cold. Let's try and do something to heat it up. Um, truthfully, the, that was the peak of the match, which they missed. And I want to—I hate doing this because I'm so high on the act. So the finish, basically, after a back and fall and some Soraya, like, not particularly effective interference, but that's the story, is that Tony Storm emerges from under the ring takes the spray paint away from Ruby Soho in retaliation for them not following her script at Wembley at All mm-hmm. In, which went tits up. And then she starts spraying it, being a little bit mad. And then a distracted Soho gets beaten from Statlander, which does nothing for Statlander. And I don't know, I, I hate criticizing an act that I'm really into, but I thought to- Tony Storm's acting was a bit hammy. Yeah. I, um, I think maybe I was just blinded by how good the act is. I think... I think it's weird to put your babyface champion over when really it's merely a device to split a heel group up. There aren't many babyfaces that can shine when this whole thing is existing for their split. And a very dramatic split at that. Yeah. You've got Saray holding the belt. You've got Tony Storm taking on a new character. There is a lot to look at that isn't your babyface world champion. Yeah, I know. So that's like they've tried to do way too much there. But AEW. <laughs> um, on that, like... What was it? Like, triple, quadruple attack by Ruby Soho. That awesome flourish. I heard, like, this wasn't an inner voice. It was an outer voice. Watching this, when it went down for that inevitable two that was cold in the building, I went, please, no, don't do it. And thankfully, Ruby Soho didn't try and top that infamous gift reaction. Yes. Because I thought, oh, God, oh, no, she's going to like try it. too hard. I, I wouldn't blame them either. That would have been in the, in, when you're planning the match in your head. Yeah. I been, oh, I've hit with everything. She's finished, she's beat. The crowd are like, oh, my God, the title's changed hands. Now I can do my NXT reaction. Thank God she didn't. I wouldn't have blamed her because 
I don't blame them for trying to do too much, but yeah, that was yeah, what it was set up for. Thankfully, they didn't. Yeah. The building should have been, oh, here it comes, and nobody bought it, and I felt sad for them. Um, I, always, I always feel sad. Statlander's work at the moment is so good as well. She looks great. So snug. Those kip-ups as well. It was yeah. like, you cannot even knock me on my arse. I'll just get straight back up. There's a great fighting champion character in there, but they're not doing anywhere near, anywhere near enough with her. I'm getting enough watching her clearly be her best self, but how her let's have an angle. Yeah. Just, just once. Just once. Um, there was an angle, but she just wasn't part of it. Um, I saw the face of God in the next match. <laughs> no exaggeration. One of my favorite matches of the year. Um... So I've talked before about star ratings, and I think a few people have shared this opinion where it's so heavily weighted towards the 30-minute main event epic. I don't think I've got the influence to do this, sadly. The market's kind of been cornered. <laughs> I think five stars... I think there's such a thing as a five-star, 12-minute TV match that accomplishes what you needed to do. Moxley, Wheeler, Utah from mm-hmm. Rampage last year being a prime example. I think it's five-star comedy matches. I think it's five-star... Um, Melodrama matches. I think it should go by genre. This was... I went four and three. If you went five, I wouldn't dispute it. I'm going to introduce a new thing, Hamlet. I'm going to introduce the Just Bleed match. <laughs> I've talked before how much I love that gif. If you just type Just Bleed UFC gif into Twitter or Google, if you haven't seen it, it's a guy from one of the very early like Outlaw Mud show, mm. UFC shows, where he's got UFC painted on his head. <laughs> Just bleed on his belly, and he's so wound up with jock energy and seeing real violence that he goes, and he's like flexing his biceps. He's just kind of, he just makes this weird noise because there's violence. Where can it go? Yeah, Yeah. like, oh, my face. I, there's so much testosterone in him that it just transmogrifies his face <laughs> into something else. As if, like, the UFC wasn't painted on beforehand. It's been forced out yes. inside his yes. skull. Yes, <laughs> Pushing so hard. Every now and then, in a blue moon, a match does that to me. And from henceforth, I'm going to refer to such matches as just bleed matches. All right. This is a just bleed match. It's Ricky Starks versus Brian Danielson. Oh, my God. It's a strap match. It's very hard-hitting and violent. The story told is that Ricky Starks is pretty levelling up. He's going full Shazam here <laughs> against Brian Danielson, and he's outwitting him, and then he doesn't. Big Bill tries to interfere, but he might have given Danielson more than he's bargained for, and then there's this moment... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. ...where Danielson, with his expert, unparalleled body language, conveys... This feeling of, all right, you've leveled up. Well, I'm going to level up. So level up to this bitch. Yeah. And they go nose to nose, and Danielson smacks him in the side of the freaking head with a strap. And then Ricky Starks does it back. And then Danielson does it back. And then Ricky Starks does it back. And this looks like so painful. I would take a Tiger Driver 91 instead of these safe space... Not going to concuss you, maybe. Maybe. Not going to damage you, maybe. You're probably not going to get your neck broken, maybe. (laughs) The most painful thing that could possibly happen in that moment. My belief is more suspended than Jack Perry. (laughs) (laughs) My friggin' testosterone and energy and bloodlust is Dennis Reynolds' level. (laughs) I'm watching this and I'm just bleed. This is a just bleed match, and it's 
if they do not do much with Ricky Starks after this, it's promotional malpractice. <laughs> it, I have this oscillating thing where I think Omega's the best ever, but if it's not him, it's Danielson on the night. Oh, Danielson's won this one. Uh, Omega won a forbidden door, and then Danielson's won this one. You know what you should do? Have a match together yeah, and do it again when Omega's, like, not as broken as he was. Even that was a masterpiece when he was broken. How good would it be? Oh, my God. If they do it again. Um, I saw the face of God in this Just Bleed match. Um, the best match I've ever seen Ricky Starks work. Yeah. And he's had some good ones. He's had some great ones. Yeah. Those three-way tags. MJF singles, I thought, was a really good yeah. piece of business. But This, this is... was absolutely unbelievable. Brian Danielson is a genius. At every sense of next level this was, wasn't it? This was Ricky Starks arriving on the next level for the very first time with one of the guys that could elevate him there, doing the job he's supposed to do, even in victory. Um, I am not much more to add about the kind of emotional connection to the match because mine was the same. It feels like everybody's was the same. Felt like if there was a way to be a psycho knee cut off counter that just looks out of this world, but they never, even though, even when they do a flashy bit of back and forth sequencing, it's never like it doesn't never feels like not a fight to the death. No, like the I loved Ricky, <laughs> Ricky Steamboat, the steamer, the nice guy on commentary. Like, I had certain lines. He was amazing. He was so great because he just, it, it was like all of it. It wasn't about what he was saying. It was about the gravitas that she had when he said it. And just him saying things like, to to your point, that specific bit where they're smashing each other in the face. And Steamboat, it's kind of like doing the like the big picture wrestler speak of, a, this is what we put our bodies on the line for. And I was like, I've seen a lot of your flare matches. I've never seen you do that. Oh, no. and I, love, I love you, Steamboat. Oh, my God. <laughs> like the, but I love him being able to relate that. To this, what he's saying is violence, risk, heart, determination. These are the characteristics people need to do this. So I just thought he added like a, an unexpected kind of texture to this match. Um, did you see Brian Danielson's promo on the pre-show? I did not. He, have you heard about it? He I said, have not. He said, um, like, the last time I was in a strap match, like... I beat that guy up. Yeah, no, I, I have heard And this. that was somebody I loved. Oh, that's so Think about nice. what I'm going to do to you. Yeah. Like, w- what a great threat. And just to... Lovely tribute as well. Yeah, really nice. And he was referring, of course, if you don't follow WWE, he had a unfathomably great strap match with a fiend at the 2020 Royal yeah. Rumble. Aye. Um, that was in the haircut, wacky hammer feud. So think about that. Yeah. Like, those were the terms that set up that match. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Um, we talked, didn't we, on, and we were very disappointed by Dynamite's offering of a... What were some of the examples we pulled out of our ass? Kurt Angle joins the Shield. It's one of my favourites. Yeah. Like, where, where's that, Tony? Brian Danielson was one. I have to give them it. Like, they oh, was, well, I don't want to have to give them it. Yeah, I want to give them it. Like, I, I wish, obviously, you have to assume that all of this is being saved until the punk stuff is ironed out and confirmed and he's gone. Because if he's here, he's working this match. But he's not, and he's gone. And the investigative panel was doing their job. Um, to unveil Danielson. I apologise to AEW for this. Yeah, to unveil Brian Danielson, this is Kurt Angle joining the Shield, and you get the consequences of that, and it's just this fantastic... We haven't got punk. 24 hours build, and it felt like they'd been at each other's throats for like three years. And How did it not feel forced? And you know Danielson's what? a magician. It's He's Daniel- a wizard. It is Danielson. And Starks is awesome as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, not a carry it, it, I mean, Danielson's the best of all time, probably, if not Kenny Omega. This wasn't a carry job, far from it. But this was this. <laughs> if every wrestler was Brian Danielson, or Kenny, or Brett, or certain wrestlers like them, then we really would just have to shut up and let it all be all right on the night because you would just need 24-hour builds all the time. You can't do that all the time. You can do it with certain wrestlers, very few, and Brian Danielson's one of them. This was like... It says Dragon on the contract. It was great as well. Yeah, really nice. This was... I kind of hate this word because in the early 2000s in the UK, it was given to very boring acoustic guitar players uh, when their albums were coming out and Joe Wiley had to do the voiceover at Christmas. This was kind of beautiful. It was. This was this was the type I saw of saw be- the face of God. This was the type of beautiful you watch pro wrestling for. I saw the face of God and thy name is professional wrestling. Uh, yeah. A lot of all of that. I will absolutely watch this again. Harrowing. I'm watching it t- tonight. The second my eldest kid's head hits that pillow. <laughs> uh, Francis, I'll see you later. You've got to strap that shit. She's gonna hear like I've got a date with the dragon. Squeals of delight coming out of a locked door and she's gonna Is he pulling me off for this? Oh, it's okay. Thanks, Brian. I've got a date with a dragon, baby. I we, Again, we talked about this in the office because um, we care. Starks has to feature prominently on the television, uh, as does his next rivalry. Yeah. This is a huge night for him. This was um, like There's loads of comparisons you can make, like Steve Austin passed out in the sharpshooter at WrestleMania 13. Imagine not featuring him in the weeks and months after that on Raw. It's like, well, you had a good night seeing a bit, Steve. Like, this has got to be... Yeah. A Ricky Starks month now, hasn't it? We've got another pay-per-view. Promotional going. malpractice if they it. don't do anything with him after this, particularly, and it's not just a one-night great breakthrough performance. The guy's been amazing on collision, and his being amazing on collision has underscored to me that there are too many stars, and this all-star approach isn't as good as February 2020, sorry, and Ricky Starks having a proper role every week, sometimes on more than once per episode, which is the cheat code to get Michael Hamflet's heart. <laughs> Works. Yeah. Keep at it. There is a star here. Um, a nice bit of um, Brian and Big Bill law. Something sweet about seeing them and something genuinely great after yeah. something genuinely terrible. Aye, that's the right. AW effect for you, baby. <laughs> uh, up next, um, Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Utah in quite shocking fashion defeat Eddie Kingston and Katsuyuri Shibata. I might watch this back to be a bit kinder to it because I thought it was good to very, very good, but a lot of people thought it was great. I personally experienced a huge adrenaline jump, uh, dump, sorry. It was through no fault of the performers. It was just a sequencing. Um, other than All In, 
which you could argue the show was kind of better than. All In was perfect, not a dull moment, mm. not a bit of flab, perfectly sequenced. Almost every other time on an AEW pay-per-view, whether it's Wardlow Joe at Revolution or um, the Night of Jericho party match at Forbidden Door, there's always one match where you're like, I'm, I'm done, get to the main event or get to the next great match. And this is one of them. Um, two seconds have I got a phone call no just a whatsapp it's very deceptive the whatsapp vibrate <laughs> isn't it I don't know I don't have them switched on I don't have any notifications on messages I choose when I read them like I don't have the red numbers I don't have the ringing or anything you like. have to show me how to do that I'm not text, very good at technology text whatsapps and the like tomorrow I'm running out of time you're going to have to tell me this um, I I want to watch this with fresher eyes because I just thought I just saw the face of God in the previous match, mm. and nothing, even a match as good as this with people who I'm bonded to in this match like I am. Um, I So it finishes with Kingston eating a Claudio uppercut. And then I thought it was a botch. It was one of those things, right, where I think in theory the idea is to make Claudio look just a mountain that Kingston will never scale. And, oh, my God, it's not even his biggest shot and he can't take it. I gather that the idea is to make it ring all the more true and be all the more triumphant when Eddie does do it. But again, it's scanned as a botch to me, this finish. It was so anticlimactic. Uh, before that, you got some really cool interpersonal dynamics and subplots with Kingston and Utah building on their stuff. Like the Shabbat Claudio stuff in this match. Oh my God. Like, I don't know if they're just saying to Shabbat over time, that's what we find, be Shabatter again. Or if he's really mastered, went to pick the spots. I think it was Danielson in the scrum saying, I don't want to give away the secrets. How did he see my arm do anything in that match? Not really sort of thing. And I don't know if it's just that dark arts magic, that Shabatter. He always had. He's always been a magician, but he's never really used them. Instead, he's used his forehead. Yeah. Um, if he's just picking his spots or if he's got that. When you watch the early... Converse Shibata matches are so weird because you don't know what he can and can't do. You know, something's missing, but what? Like Orange Cassidy stuff. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like even his facials aren't great, and that's what he should be emphasizing if he can't go full ball with his strikes. But when he was like eating that Claudio offense and then just got him in an ankle lock with his face, he was majestic. So this was a lot to like about this match, but I thought it was anticlimactic and I couldn't watch it on its own terms. Yeah, this was a 2021 match graphic in 2023 AEW for me. Where the charm's gone a bit. Aye, um, I'll tell you what I like. Uh, the Utah and Claudio team, when the BCC is all said and done, and I'm fine with whenever AEW wants to make that choice, I don't know if it was the matching gear or just how fun they are together all the time they've been hanging out. I get a bit of a Beverly Brothers vibe off these two, you know? Like, they're kind of nasty in these matches. Yeah. They're really entitled. They're really smug. But they can kick ass. They just sometimes would choose not to. And I quite like them. I think there's a proper tag team out of these two in the stable, done and dusted. So I got that. I kind of think I, I was a bit frustrated with the finish. I, like, I don't mind the ambition of, like, you know when he beat Jericho with the swing? Yes. Like, I don't mind the ambition of that because it can't, it just cannot pop off the first time. But that's how you establish it as a threat. Yeah. It's really hard to bury one in in a hot Cody finish. Rhodes was great at this. Oh, I remember he was winning with a figure four and stuff. Yeah. Like, that. The, like, sometimes you can get Danielson in late 2021 when he built yes. things so exquisitely that he had, like, ten finishes. Mox did it in 20... All right, maybe there are wrestlers and maybe just 
Cesaro can't. I don't know. But like in my head, it's really hard to just establish something as a finisher just out the gate, um, or at least something that can beat situational finisher. It can beat Kingston. Yeah. Like there are ten ways I can beat you, Eddie. So what chance do you stand at Grand Slam for the Ring of Honor title? But that's what pissed me off. I don't think this is the belt for Grand Slam, and I think that's what we're getting. I think the belt is in the main event of this show. Yeah, that's the Kingston Grand Slam payoff, and I think we're getting a different one. Uh, and I just like why not both for me. Is Reese happy with the Ring of Honor belt? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Bring me another one, Eddie. Like the because he's not taking the uh, strong title home, is he? He's not taking the New Japan. That one doesn't count. So what we decide what counts here yeah. is Eddie's big belt, and I don't think it's the Ring of Honor one. No. Uh, in a bit of a shocker, but not really. Kanosuke uh, Takeshita, uh, sorry, easy for me to say, defeats Kenny Omega pretty clean. There's some screwdriver stuff, but it doesn't really play into the finish. Mm-hmm. It's more like a layer of drama in the end in about 22 minutes. Um, only Kenny Omega and Danielson <laughs> can wrestle four and a half stars on a certain night. If they do four and a half stars on a TV, I'm thinking, great. On pay-per-view, I'm looking at four and three minimum for these guys. <laughs> and when Omega Takeshita's a pretty easy four and a half star match for me, when I know with a better build, it could be a fiver. Mm. You get the slightest twinge of, why isn't this, why am I not seeing the face of God here? Yeah. I'm watching an excellent, excellent match. We were talking about this over the desks because we are, we care. We are nerds. I settled on the... I was talking about the Becky Lynch-Trish Stratus thing where they're telling a story about a legend coming to reclaim her territory. You can only tell that story if the person is a legend. In this story, it's Kenny... Uh, Kenosuke Takeshita is the new super athlete of professional wrestling, and he is in Chicago to do nothing less than put an end to the legend of Kenny Omega. So when you get this absolutely thrilling, hard-hitting, like a nightmarish soundscape of a match with those like concussive, vile thuds from the knee strikes, that's not quite... Kenny Omega's career is on the line, and Mm. I'm scared for him. I'd never got that feeling, but that's the story they told, and they did try and tell it quite very cleverly, in fact, when... Kenosuke Takeshita, and I'm sorry, this is very irresponsible for the button press, um, dumps Kenny Omega right in his head with the backdrop suplex. Oh, my God. I shouldn't be pressing this button. Oh, my God. But I'm going pr- to press it anyway. Oh, my God. So he does that because he's been told there's not much of a neck left. Target that. Uh, he's never really been the same after that hernia surgery. So what you're going to do is you're going to pile up loads of chairs on his ad- abdomen and do a somersault sent on onto it. Um... So there's the story beats are great. It's a sick, disgustingly hard hitting back and forth. It's in that new age Omega methodical style, which might part be part of the problem. This obviously it works. It's a four and a half star match. It's a great match. It's very loud. It's very heated. It only works at that epic Omega level when there's a true emotional investment. And I think they did a shoddy job of sidelining Takeshita to get Jericho his big Wembley match with Osprey. And this is the anti-Darby Allen approach mm-hmm. where you've sacrificed one thing to make the other thing bigger. So when you get to the thing that you've sacrificed, as great as it is, it doesn't meet its full potential. There's a... The execution of the Blue Thunder Bomb avalanche is obviously... Oh obviously. Oh but when they're scaling the ropes, and you know the lore of Omega on the top turnbuckle, everyone remembers the Snapdragon. Yeah. Everyone remembers the Avalanche Kreutz Wrath. 
you're meant to watch that spot thinking, oh my God, someone's career <laughs> is on the line. You're meant to be thinking, I'm watching this live. Have they got a tape delay? Am I going to watch someone's neck get broken? Mm. That's the fear it's meant to elicit in you. I never really got that. Again, because they'd sidelined Takeshita. The last five minutes are absolutely glorious. You could probably press oh that button every five seconds. It was a four and a half when maybe it's just an unrealistic expectation and I'm the arsehole here. I thought five. No, I don't know. But a build contributes to that rating, doesn't it? Yeah. Like a perfect match requires, if not a perfect build, a near perfect one because that's what part of what makes the match itself feel perfect. Yeah. Um I I can't really disagree with any of that because it is weird to be feeling a little bit deflated on a four and a half star match. This was exceptional at its some of the work was just unbelievable. Oh, so good. Like as you say, like how have they not knocked each other's teeth out with some of those knee strikes? It's just literally perfect work. Kenny Omega's like and it's like his fusion slick violence is kind of what you fall in love with in the first place because you're wrong footed by it aren't you the first time you see a Kenny Omega match you're watching this pretty slick guy do futuristic stuff and he's into his video games and he's a bit flashy and oh Jesus Christ he just killed him like that's the like, Kenny Omega thing, how, is he dead yeah that's the Kenny Omega experience and at this point because you're used to it you have to train yourself to forget a little bit and then get drawn in all over again and I wonder if that was the problem with the build like Callis identified all of the weak spots on television to catch the targeted them that was the match. I wanted Kenny to surprise me a bit, like with a counter or with a, no, that's fine, actually. Or Don, you don't know me anymore. That's a part of how we come apart of the I scenes. Do you think they try and counteract that by the immediate head drop? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, so I, just, I thought just a lot of stuff was left begging in the build, and I think that's what hurt this match, which otherwise was still technically brilliant, still vile in places. Didn't feel as big as it could have. No, but... As in contrast to the Claudio Kingston thing, I thought the finish was tremendous. Yeah, like, the finish was great. Get getting stuff over—that's what they were doing there. And Omega got both Takeshita and that, like, like I know he's got like the weaker neck. Yeah, but nonetheless, that's now a, t- a kill shot for Takeshita, isn't it? Yeah, it's a super effective in that regard. Absolutely, I, I, you should be wanting Kenny now, and he's never been that conventional TV character, and I wish he was. But you should be wanting Kenny to be desperate to get a rematch and Takeshi not give him it. But I can't help feeling like Kenny does the old, well, I don't know what's next for me now. Yeah, he can be a bit passive. Yeah. Um, this feud especially when it's his legacy on the line, mm-hmm. his life on the line, his health on the line. He should have the bit between his teeth here. I think it's the Winnipeggers in tag action at Wrestle Dream. Well, yeah. <laughs> Bullock Cup Gold defeated um, FTR and Young Bucks in the penultimate match, which might have been five minutes too long. It might have been too ambitious. When this was great, it was very much worthy of the button. Oh, my God. I love the way that FTR and the books tell this old babyface story because there's not a natural conflict when you run this. You do it for match quality, realistically. You do it because people are ready for the match or whatever. Them building their bond of respect, not just by saying it constantly, but by betraying their code because in the moment they think, oh, the young books, they're kind of great. I need to be on their wavelength to beat this gang who mm. are more together than we are. Like watching Cash Wheeler and Matt Jackson do super kicks, where they get the timing a bit janky on the first yeah. one. Again, hand of the author isn't necessarily, you know, intent matters. For them to do it better the second time, just, oh, my God. Dax pulling the kick to make the good one, the second one great. Yeah. That's, that's a good pro wrestler. Really great. Like, he was a great pro wrestler. And there are spots here where one just gets undone at the last second, which is such a shame because... 
The whole great thing about tag team wrestling is that you double your fun. This crazed dynamic, you quintuple your fun with quintuple team moves, <laughs> with these incredibly elaborate, complex sequences that are meant to just get your jaw and just unhinge it and go, oh, oh. And then I don't know who's out of position or who goes too early, but Nick Jackson misses Juice Robinson after like a minute of bang, 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 yeah. bang, bang, oh, right at the end. So it was probably too ambitious in the layout, but the books obviously are going to think we can do this because of the goddamn young books. They are the masters of this form. Um, it probably goes a bit too long. Um, one of the guns, Austin, no, Colton, I believe, pins darks. So this had two objectives. One, maintain the idea that the books in FTR cannot be separated in terms of quality, chemistry. They are the one and A, and we have to run it back. So that's the story they're telling. And the other one is a setting up FTR versus the guns, mm. which is like from all into all out to a collision match. Again, too much content, but when it was hot, this was hot. Yeah, it was very good, this. Very, very good. And I admired... You know, like obviously it was great to see the intricate set pieces that you would have expected from the Young Bucks and FTR, but I really admired here that you could tell two stories with two teams. FTR and the Young Bucks will fight again for the tag belts, this much we know. That will come down the line. I still hope for a Young Bucks heel turn. I think that's the way to go. I think if we're going to... I just cannot get on with them as fairly kind of passive, aloof baby faces anymore. So that's where it's going. I think so. I just want to say, by the way, just diverting for a second, I loved... Despite the fact that we fantasy booked it on Friday, Friday is a million years ago in wrestling terms, and this would have been nightmarish for having competitive CM Punk elite spots. The trick was no longer to reference CM Punk. The trick was to try and help us all get immersed in the fiction again in a punkless AEW world. So if they'd have started, you know, even if it was in FTR's case paying tribute or in the Young Bucks taking a little victory lap as Matt Jackson did on Saturday, if this was any kind of we got him. That would have taken away from the fiction of the story trying to tell, so I'm glad they resisted that. Let's just move away from that now completely. should mention the only time the Chicago crowd got a little bit, I miss the punker, mm. was when the Young Bucks were in there. Yeah. And it was mixed. And they didn't court it. They didn't court and it. I think they kind of liked it, but they didn't court it. Yeah, and I think that was important. You couldn't have gone back to the Chicago trios thing of, we're giving you it, because I, in hindsight, I felt at the time that was my punk biases. I really don't think that helped. In terms of well, it paints tells me reached Nirvana. Paints you a picture of a match you want that then, <laughs> that you pointed out was always t- a compromise too far, wasn't it? You know, um, I think this has been really good booking of Bullet Club Gold. Good booking, good booking. Um, Jay White, by the way, is the glue, the traffic warden. He's sensational. He's a world champion in waiting, but this is the, the way he can position and time his cutoffs and make it feel. Make this party match feel like he's somehow doing a strategy in it. Yeah. It's insane. He's it's right great. back to IWGP pedigree, and it's why he could belong immediately back at the top of an AW card as well, which is cool. You could headline the next pay-per-view. Yeah. He's it's, so it's great. It's been a reminder that they've signed a main event when it looked like they were dropping that main event into the mid-card. And just on Bullet Club Gold as a group, I think, um, of course, I would make this comparison, but idiot me would have put the tag belts on the Judgment Day back in January when it was just really fun and the bloodline were hot. They've just won the tag belts because they've become a stab. They're legit. They are. Everything they say they are is this big stable. And that sort of happened with Bullet Club Gold. It was a bit silly. It was a bit party hat and card blade and all of that. They've just beaten the Nigel at Wembley and the Golden Cowboys. 
and now they've just beaten the Young Bucks and FTR, the best tag teams in over the space of seven days. Yeah, kind of the best. And as cheesy as they are and as fun as they are, this has been a hell of a run. And I think they have they're now going to come out on television and consider themselves the best around here. And they've got the results to back it up. And I think that's really helpful. The Guns and FTR have fought for the tag battles already this year. As mad as that is, like the Guns are on just in a different postcode, weren't they, back then? They are part of it now. Oh, such good dickheads. Mm. They're so dynamic. They feel like they are way more confident. This has been the making of them. Like They're always like a good team. They were told what to do and did it well sort of thing. But the, the way they move around now, yeah. and uh, there's different, they're different gravy, different gravy these days. The main event crucially felt like a main event. It was John Moxley versus Orange Cassidy for the AEW International title, which, beyond everything negative there is to say about AEW, and coming from a guy who thinks at its peak it's the best promotion ever, there's a lot. This international title, Trojan Horse into something important, has been a masterstroke. Again, this title was put on the desk of the commentary table with no fanfare, no anticipation, no huge announcement build. It was just stuck on there. Well, I've got a new singles title when everyone wanted a trio's title. Who could possibly have foreseen that it would reach this height? It's been an incredible job. Orange Cassidy, and I mentioned this in Star Ratings. Again, it's a transcript. Truly grasped what it means to bleed. And it's not just taking an aspirin and getting the most actual plasma. It's like the losing blood. It's the defiance when you think you've lost too much, but your mind won't give up where your body has. It's sort of that kind of, oh, is he kind of all right? His selling here was tremendous. This was luxuriously paced as a main event. And again, just yet another arrow to his bow, or whatever the friggin' expression is. Because he paces this thing so well with John Moxley that every moment matters. This is his first main event, and he's nailed it with a consummate babyface performance. They master in this match when to do it, when to do everything. As a John Moxley gotch style pile driver, that I hate to be this old school head fan. It actually feels like a pile driver because they know exactly when in the body of the match to do it. Um, There's minimal shtick. Because he's not playing games. He can't play games with John Moxley as he tried very early. He will kill you. Until, and again, this is the when of it, it really gets the pop. The oh, oh, oh from the leg kicks really felt like he's not taking the piss out of Moxley. He's not trying to little bit more move. He's doing it with like with belief. Yeah. There was so much great, great action in here. But again, the spaces between moves, how long they took without it feeling drab or methodical. Orange Cassidy is amazing. Um, he's just, much like the title he holds, he leveled up to a main event talent in his first ever pay-per-view main event. I thought this was exceptional. Um, a lot of people loved it. I think people liked it more than me. I think people are really thinking this is one of the best AEW headliners ever. I wouldn't quite go that far, but it was certainly worthy is the word. Um, I've said this on Twitter and on Star Ratings. I think it's bears repeating. Because I hate it when people are like, oh, see, you doubt Orange Cassidy. I haven't doubted Orange Cassidy since 2020 <laughs> or 2019, in fact. I knew he would be great. But this is a different level of great. And yes. not everyone can reach it. Uh, I've seen wrestlers try and be main eventers who were hyped as main eventers who never did it. He's done it on the first try. It's not a question of, you know, the good f- the f- debate being settled. It was settled in good faith. Yes. 
plural years ago. It's how good he could be. The title, the man makes the title. The performer makes things important. How he's done that with the Pacific Shazam title <laughs> that's had two weird names is ultimately the best punchline yet. He is the guy who makes things matter. The guy who's meant to not care about his business. Not only is that a complete load of bollocks, and again, it was a complete load of bollocks three years ago, he's doing things that even the greats couldn't quite do. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's Orange Cassidy's four years. You know, it's a story of him being at punchline, at points, um, but relatable with it. Because I remember you would talk about him as you made the Stone Cold Steve Austin was the anti-hero for that specific period of the late 90s. Orange Cassidy was that for the like late 10s, early 20s. The broken husks of people destroyed yeah. by the horrors of the world who simply can't care about anything because it hates too much to do that. There was a relatable character in him. He was an escapist bit of fun, which is a very different kind of punchline in pro wrestling. If a punchline is not necessarily a gag character that you escape into, Orange Cassidy was that. So he's been that. He has, of late, been, a, which was the f- the best gag of all, really. The, what we thought was the payoff to the gag, Orange Cassidy is the workhorse. Yes. That was a payoff in and of itself. If he'd have lost it all the way back against Jeff Jarrett or against Swerve, that would have been a satisfying enough payoff. Here, he elevated it yet again to something far more profound. The man I'm about to compare Orange Cassidy to would hate this comparison. But in this match specifically, and in this defeat, I would compare Orange Cassidy to Ariana Trigger. Because for years, let's be honest, idiots said, it's got to be Ted DiBiase Jr. It's got got to be Wade Barrett. And then that streak became something so much more about what it could be passed on and about what it could do for a supposed up-and-comer. Because it couldn't. It was more about that he had it. Yeah. So the power of the streak was in that somebody was taking it away, not that that power was being passed on to somebody else. So that Brock Lesnar was perfect. Because Brock Lesnar is the guy that takes things away because he acts without prejudice. Yeah. And he took that streak away. John Moxley was Orange Cassidy's Brock Lesnar. He took that belt away. This belt was never about, and it, like I got sucked in because it was an amazing title reign to get sucked in too. But it was never about wow, like Swerve's gonna be made from winning this title because John Moxley's not made by winning the international title. He's kind of a bastard for taking it from Orange Cassidy. Yeah. Orange Cassidy is made for losing it because what he did when the Undertaker lost to Brock Lesnar was look at that streak and be like, man, what a thing, what an unbelievable thing that was. And now you look at Orange Cassidy's reign, it's like, what a thing, what a thing it was. You don't necessarily, and I think John Moxley will be just fine with that belt, but you don't look at John Moxley like, how's he going to take this belt and nickel label? Yeah. It's like, what a bastard for taking it. God damn it, he's still the boss. God damn it, he's still the big bad. Almost nobody beats John Moxley in the singles. Yeah. Cassidy couldn't get it done, but I believe on another day he could. This was super effective at that. And just recently in the last few weeks, right down to the go-home dynamite with that promo, there was the week where he, I can't remember who Cassidy beat, but you started to see where he was like, just actively firing up like a baby face. Gone was the theoretical shackles of the gimmick. And he actually was giving it a bit of Brian Dixon. Come on, shall I get him? And he'd never done that before. Yeah. And it was all built into this, wasn't it? Like you had every Orange Cassidy here and that was what made it so profound and so powerful is that he could be every pro wrestler in selling long term storytelling yeah. character work you you have to earn that when you're orange cassidy if you come in in october 2019 as the slacker with the with the thumbs up and hands in the pockets 2 weeks later you cannot say, come on baby you can't do 88 sting 
you're not allowed. He's the most patient and clever storytellers of his generation, certainly amongst them. This match was worthy for four years of character, minimum four years of character work, longer. I'm just talking about the TV years. Four years of television character work, a immaculate and impeccable title run, a year's worth of in-ring, um, all to fall short against the guy that everybody falls short against. This is John Moxley yet again holding up a belt saying, I'm sorry, is that how you wanted this to go? Yeah. That's what John Moxley does. Cassidy will be fine. I'm almost gutted for him that MJF is where he's at. He's at in his trajectory, yeah. Because now is now is right now for Orange right. Cassidy. If it was heel MGF at the peak of his powers, and this is the Cassidy, you would forgive failing upwards booking and just book that match for like full gear. Yeah, Tony Khan has chosen, has made a decision, and has chosen to eradicate the CM Punk headache from his creative layout here in AEW. Has he got 2020 Tony Khan in him to quote unquote keep Orange Cassidy busy? Until the time is right, because that's the test now, isn't it? Is it as easy as Orange Cassidy versus Ricky Starks? I don't know. Like, but it's got to feel big, hasn't it? Yeah. Cassidy's next move has got to feel big because people. You he's an ace. It. You could fit. He's an ace. You could feel it in this building. A title reign has to come eventually. And the last thing, like AEW, has cooled so many people over the years. You cannot cool Orange Cassidy from here. You cannot. No, he's got too many people to keep hot, and that is fundamentally the problem. That I think that. AW is going to confront for a long time yet. Let us know your thoughts on All Out. Was it better than All In? Um, Is the vibe back? Is the power back? Um, Yeah, just let us know your thoughts, please, underneath the link to this X post at WhatCultureWWE. Whilst you're there, you can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. Follow me at M. Sidgwick. Um, Don't forget to subscribe to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, we've got the payback review that should be hitting your feeds simultaneously. Is it already up? Uh, Not quite, but it will be. Yeah, I, 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 tr- I trust Michael Hamlet to do it. <laughs> um, you know, we've got some more coverage across the YouTube channel. Uh, what culture um, wrestling and whatculture.com slash WWE. We are expecting huge punk explosive mm-hmm. remarks to drop anytime soon. Someone somewhere in the What Culture team will be on top of it, so check out all of our stuff. Until then, thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry shampoo, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.